Hard. Loving right. God with all of your heart. That's right. It's going to be great. Uh, so great to have you here with us. Every week I'm seeing more and more people, folks that I haven't seen in the year and a half that I've been here coming back in person, uh, f- new folks coming out, families coming out, especially kids. Uh, didn't the uh, children's choir do an amazing job today? We, we need a lot more of that. That was really good. Really good. We also are putting together an adult choir, our worship choir. They're going to be leading in a couple weeks. If you want to know more about that, uh, talk to the worship team. They're, they're glad to uh, share that with you as well. We are talking about the most important concept, Christian concept of the Christian faith. It's the summation of the whole law. It's the highest ethic of the Christian faith. It's really the foundation of our faith. That is love. When Jesus is asked, What the most important commandment of all the scripture is, Jesus said, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all of your strength. That's Mark 12, 29, and 30. Now, Jesus didn't make that up. Jesus was literally quoting the Old Testament, and it's not just in uh, Mark, it's also in Matthew and Luke, because that is one of the most famous verses of the entire Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, Moses instructed the Israelites of the law. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. Loving God with all that we are. And, and, and so that was the verse that, it, that Moses told the Israelites, write it on your doorposts, carry it around on your foreheads, wear it on your arm, teach it to your kids when they come out and when they go in. This is the essence of the law. Jesus asked, what's the most important commandment? He goes to the Shema. That's what we call that, the Shema. And he says, this is the most important commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets are summed up in those two verses. We're going to be walking through the Old Testament in a few weeks here as we walk through the Bible, but we can sum up the whole thing in love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so in this six-week series, we've been talking about those four ways that Jesus uh, articulates how we're supposed to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Two weeks ago, we said love God with all your mind. We talked about what that meant. Last week, love God with all your soul. Today, we're talking about loving God with all of your heart, and next week, with all of your strength. When you think about loving God with all your heart, to me, that's like the most obvious. Anybody, you know, if I were to say, how do you love God, what would you say? Most of us would probably say, with your heart. How do we receive God? Receive him in our heart. What, what does it mean to love God? It means to have a heart for God. What, what does it look like to love God? It's having got Jesus live in your heart. I think the most intuitive way, like I don't think about loving God with my strength necessarily. Or I don't think about loving God with my soul necessarily. But when I think about loving God, just think about loving anybody really, I think about my heart, right? Do I have a heart for my wife, Margaret? Is my heart uh, for my kids? Is my heart in my job? It's just natural to think about our heart. And because of this, I think we oftentimes, when we read this verse, we kind of overlook that aspect of loving God. Love God with all your heart. Well, obviously. I mean, how else would you love God 
but with your heart. But Jesus doesn't just say, and the Shema doesn't just say, love God with your heart. It's love God with all your heart, with your whole heart. Love God completely. Because what happens is that oftentimes we, like the Israelites before us, have a divided heart. We do love God with our heart to a degree, but we love other things with our heart. We have idols, we have lusts, we have uh, issues in our heart, and our heart is divided. And because of that, our Christian life, our life with faith, our gospel life, is not, doesn't have the power, doesn't have the synergy that it have if we have a whole heart. John Wesley used to say, the founder of Methodism, that give me a hundred people or a hundred men. He's talking about preachers. He says, I don't care if they're ordained or not, but give me a hundred preachers who love nothing but God and hate nothing but sin, and we will shake the gates of hell. He just believed that having a whole heart was the essence of having the power of God, both for transforming our lives, but also to work through our lives to do his work in the world. Moses told the Israelites in Sinai, and this is Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with, and there it is, all your heart and with all your soul. And to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today, for your good. There's a necessary connection between what we have in our heart and what we do. You see it in that verse? There's a connection. He says, keep the commandments and love God with all your heart. Serve God with all your heart and all your soul and keep his commandments. Because there's a connection between what we do and what we have in our heart. And that's what we're focusing on today is having that heart that allows us to live out this gospel life. And Jeremiah, Jeremiah is talking to people who have been disobedient. These are Israelites who have been disobedient. They're about ready to go off into exile. But he's promising them that God's not done with them. And he says this, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place where I sent you into exile. It says, when you seek me, you'll find me. When you seek me, when you search for me with all your heart, that's when I will show up. That's when you'll know me. That's when you'll experience me. In 1 Samuel, when Samuel and God through Samuel tells uh, Saul that he's no longer going to be king because Saul is a man who has a divided heart. He's got divided allegiances. In, in one time, in one place, he loves God, but then in other times, he doesn't. In one time, he'll trust God. In another place, he won't. And Samuel says to Saul, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure. This is it. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him to be ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. 
David was not chosen to be king because he was the biggest or the strongest or the smartest or even the most righteous. He wasn't chosen because he was the most popular. In his own home, his father even forgot to bring him when Jesse, uh, his father, was called by Samuel to bring all his sons. He didn't even bring him out because he thought this guy's not king material. But the thing that made him king material is that he loved God with all of his heart. He was a man after God's own heart. And over time, he did become the strongest and the most influential and the most powerful. But that was all because of what God had first done in his heart. And so the question we're looking at today is this question. What happens when you love the Lord with all your heart? What happens when you love the Lord with all your heart? What's going to change in your life when you have a whole heart for God? What's going to change in our lives when we allow God to take our heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh? When we allow God to come in and give us a new heart, to fill us with his presence? What happens? And we're looking at Luke chapter 6, verse 43 through 49, where Jesus is going to tell us some of the results of having a heart for God. What changes in the rest of our lives when we allow God to fill our hearts with his presence. The main idea is that a good life starts with a good heart. We can't live the life externally that God have us live without allowing God to first transform our hearts. Like the parable of the soils, that the seed that gets deeply into the ground bears great fruit. God's presence getting deeply into our heart is what transforms and bears fruit in our lives. So let me read it for you. It's Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 49. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men or people, men and women, do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man, a good person, out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. See that connection? What's in the heart comes out. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like the man who built a house on the ground without any foundation and the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed for the ruin of that house was great. Luke 6 is kind of Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, Luke calls it the Sermon on the Flat Place or the Plain. We're not exactly sure if that's because Jesus was on a mount, but a flat place on a mount, or if this was a sermon that Jesus likely preached multiple times to different crowds, and Luke is speaking of the same material, but a different context. But it starts with the Beatitudes, and it's, it's almost like a summary version of the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is Jesus' most influential message. This is Jesus' most popular sermon. This is the sermon that everyone has heard of in that day. And this is a time when Jesus is preaching to thousands 
of people. Now, this little passage that we just read is just a few verses from this wider sermon. But Jesus is getting to the fact that what we do on the inside or what God does on the inside is what ultimately bears fruit on the outside. Jesus is introducing this idea that my religion is different from the religion of the Pharisees, that my faith is different from the faith of the priests. I'm not here to focus on this external righteousness of the Pharisees. I'm not here to push these rituals of the priests in the temple. You've got that. But what you're missing is that God wants to do something to transform you on the inside out. God wants to give you a new heart. God wants to birth a new life within you. God wants to take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This is what was promised by the prophets. God wants to fill you with his spirit. And when God does that, then this outside changes. That's what Jesus is saying. And he, he, he introduces three ideas. These are the results of having a whole heart for God. This is what happens in our life as we allow God to transform our, our hearts. And I think it's I think this material is so good to look at because it gives us a picture of what our life should look like, but more importantly, it tells us how to get there. So the first result of a whole heart for God is that your life produces good fruit. When you allow Jesus to fill your heart with his spirit, when you allow God to give you a new heart, when you develop a heart by God's grace that loves God with our heart, what happens is that it comes out in our life as good fruit. Look at verse 43 through 45. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For men or people do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. It's a really simple little parable that's embedded in this sermon. That, that's what this is. It's, a, it's simple in our day. I mean, we can understand it. But just think about in an agrarian culture where everyone's finding their fruit, growing their fruit, finding their own food. This is a, is a parable that everyone would have understood. If you want apples, what do you do? You go to an apple tree in season, right? If you want grapes, what do you do? You go to a grapevine in season. If you're a farmer, you tend that grapevine. The point is, there's no point in a farmer tending a briar bush. It's never going to produce grapes. The best farmer in the world with the best fertilizer in the world and the most care in the world is not going to make a thorn produce grapes or figs. It doesn't happen. You, you have the, the, whatever is in the DNA of that plant, best case scenario, is going to produce that fruit. It's not going to produce a different fruit no matter how you tend or care for that plant. It's a simple parable. And the idea is we're like that. Whatever our spiritual DNA, that fruit we're going to produce. No amount of law or religion or ceremony or practice is going to fix that issue, what we have in our heart over time is going to come out in our lives. The good man 
out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what's good. The evil man, out of evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. It's not, it's not that, that that person is instructed or living by a certain external principle. It's what's natural, what comes out of the heart. Jesus speaks of a, a good tree. And uh, I think of, for me, a good tree is like a, a peach tree. And to me, I, I love peaches. I was thinking of a good fruit. The first thing that came to my mind is peaches. If I could have a tree that produced fruit, I would want a peach tree. A peach tree, when you tend it, is going to have peaches. My uh, grandfather used to have an orchard in his, not a, like a, in, he had a farm. And as part of his farm, he had this massive garden and then a little orchard. He had like five uh, apple trees and pear trees. And uh, whenever I'd go there, you know, we would take the apples and mostly feed them to the horse or to the cows because we couldn't eat all of them. But, uh, but it's good fruit, it's good fruit from a, a good tree. You're never going to have a bad tree produce good fruit. This week I looked up on uh, Google, I, I, I googled uh, bad fruit tree, and what came up was the manchineal tree. Have you heard of the manchineal tree? It, it produces a fruit that's called the death apple. That's the common name for this fruit, the death apple. It's considered that every part of the manchineal tree is toxic. In fact, it's considered among the most toxic plants in the world. It's said that if you sit underneath or stand underneath this tree in the rain, just the water running off of its leaves and falling on you can cause blistering and swelling on your skin. In fact, the sap of this tree is so toxic that uh, it was used in ancient days as a weapon. The, an arrow that was dipped in the sap of this tree is what killed Ponce de Leon as he was exploring and conquering Florida in the 16th century. But the fruit itself, this is what it says on Wikipedia about the fruit. It says, the fruit, consuming the fruit, causes severe gastroenteritis with bleeding, shock, as well as the potential of airway compromise due to swelling. This is a bad fruit. If you see this fruit, not that you're going to recognize it from that picture, but if you see this fruit, don't eat it. People were asking after the service, where is it? It's mostly in the Caribbean and in Central America, and it is also in Florida. Uh, the explorers uh, found it here um, when they came to the uh, New World. Bad fruit, right? It's not about tending it or caring for it or waiting for the right season or anything. It's just bad fruit. And what Jesus is saying is the same thing, is that Grapes grow on grapevines. Figs grow on fig trees. Briars don't produce figs and grapes. The question for us is, what kind of fruit is your life producing? When you look at your life, when you look at the produce of your life, when you look at the fruit of your life, what is that fruit? Because what you produce reveals what's in your heart. Is your life producing the fruit of the Spirit? 
the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control. Maybe not perfectly, but can you experience that as God works in your life, God's producing Christ-likeness through your life? Are you a more patient person? Are you a more joyful person? Or are you a, a more, do you have more self-control? Because, not, not because you're, you know, I know I should do this, but because God is doing something in you that has to be done through you. When I lived in Vienna, I moved into a house, and my next-door neighbor had about 10 little tiny trees in his yard, in the front yard and in the side yard. And the largest of these trees sat almost on the property line. It was on his side of the property line, but at least a third, if not half the tree, was on my side. Our houses were really close together. I think there was probably like eight feet total between our house and this tree sat almost in the middle of that. And it kind of blocked the path that I had to the gate for my backyard. So when I first moved in, I was mowing the grass. I'd have to like crawl underneath it to mow. It wasn't a huge tree. It was like, it, was a, it, was a, it turns out it was a fig tree. I didn't know at the time, but it was just a, a you know, it was probably less than 10 feet tall total. So I just took my loppers and I took off a few of the branches so that I could get the lawnmower underneath it and get to my back gate. Um, and soon after that, he came over to talk to me. And uh, very nice guy. He lived there for like 30 years. He's uh, originally Iranian and he loves uh, figs. And so that was the first, he explained this to me, that was the first tree he planted when he moved into the house. And then from that, he's been taking off little saplings and he's been planting other trees. He's got like 10 other ones. But this one, because it's the oldest, it's the one that bears all the fruit. And so he just kindly asked me not to cut it back. And he said, you know, I'm happy to share the fruit with you and bears this delicious fruit. And from then on, every year during fig season, he'd bring over a little bowl of figs for me. Now, for me, figs are not good fruit. I do not like figs. I would try them, and he'd tell me how delicious they were, but I didn't grow up eating figs, and there was a texture thing, and I didn't really know how to eat them, and they, they just they didn't do anything for me. I, they reminded me of the fig newtons my mom used to try to make me eat when I was a kid. And so I, I, never, I never cared for them, but I did recognize that to him, this was among the most important parts of being a good neighbor is preserving and caring for that tree. For him, it bore good fruit. I mean, one of his favorite things in life was having these fig trees. He took care of them all the time. You and I are going to produce what we are, right? That tree that's in my side yard is never going to produce apples. Now, I would have taken care of it to produce apples. It's never going to produce apples, but it's going to produce what it is. And so what Jesus is saying is that we have to allow God to give us a new heart so that we can produce his righteousness. The pharisaical path of trying to produce something externally that's not internal is not going to work. That's what Jesus is saying. We have to allow him to give us a new heart. And fortunately, that's the promise of the gospel. In Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27 Ezekiel foretold, this is Jesus, uh, God talking through Ezekiel. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk 
in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. This is Ezekiel speaking to people who are being taken off into exile for their disobedience. And God speaking through Ezekiel saying, don't worry, when the Messiah comes, he's going to give you a new heart. He's going to take away your heart of stone. He's going to give you a heart of flesh. He's going to put his spirit in you. Then you will keep his ordinances. Here we're trying to live up to God's righteous standard, but we can't do it. But the whole message of the gospel is that God has come down in Jesus Christ to where we are. And now Jesus has come down through his Holy Spirit to live in our hearts. And through Christ living in us, we can live out this gospel life. The first result of a whole heart for God is that your life produces good fruit. The second result you can see in Roman number two is that your life has integrity. When, when we allow God to give us a new heart, all of a sudden our life on the inside and our life on the outside becomes integral. It, we begin to live out this life that we have internally. Luke 6, 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Again, Jesus is speaking to thousands of people, his disciples, his larger group of followers, some hundreds of people, and thousands of people who are just fans. But all of them are calling him Lord, right? They're coming to him and saying, Lord, why don't you go to Jerusalem and become king? Lord, why don't you feed us some more bread? Lord, they're all calling him Lord. And he says to them, why do you call me Lord? In other words, your mouth recognizes who I am. Why do you call me Lord, but you don't live it out? You don't do what I say. And what Jesus is getting at is that for most people, there's an outward persona of how we live, and then there's a, an inner life that's different. This is kind of normal in life, right? Most of us have an outward persona at work and then our real life. Or maybe if we're dating somebody, we put on a certain outward persona and, and, and then, and then we're, we're somewhat different than that. And certainly this is almost a cliche for church people, that church people, we have an outward church persona. We dress a certain way, we speak a certain way, we act a certain way, but then our rest of our life is different or our inner life is different. It's kind of normal. I'm not trying to be super condemning of this. It's kind of normal. But it's not spiritually healthy, and especially as those two parts of our life become more distinct, right? Where we're living a certain way for what the church thinks or the preacher thinks or our parents think, but our real life is something very different. As those things become more and more different from each other, we become pharisaical. We become what Jesus described when he's describing the Pharisees as whitewashed tombs. On the outside, we look perfect, like a tomb that's made out of this beautiful stone that's well-kept, that's clean. On the outside, if you didn't know what was going on, you might think, oh, I'll use this as a little house. I could live here. But if you know what it is, you know that it's filled with dead people's bones. It's just decay and death on the inside. And Jesus says that's what the Pharisees are like. On the outside, they look great, but their hearts are so far from what they demonstrate on the outside. And their life, in other words, doesn't have integrity. It's two different lives. It's an outer life and it's an inner life. And Jesus says that when 
We allow his love to fill our hearts when he gives us a new heart of love, all of a sudden our lives have integrity. Not because we start to live with the wickedness and the hatefulness and the sinfulness and the lust that's in our heart. That'd be one way to have integrity. But because he changes our heart and he gives us a heart that lives itself out in godliness. What would you give for a life of integrity? What would you give to be able to be real? To, to be able to be who God created you to be, to be who you are in this relationship and that relationship, to be who you are in this environment and that environment, to be genuine, to not, to not have to put on a facade, to not have to act a certain way, to not have to live up to other people's standards, but to know that you're living for what God thinks through what God has done in your heart. That's the second result of loving God with all of our heart or allowing God to give us a new heart or allowing God to put his spirit in our heart so we live with integrity. The third result of loving God with all of our heart is that you have a life that endures. Your life bears fruit. Your life has integrity. And you have a life that lasts, a life that endures. Verse 47 through 49, we'll wrap it up with this. Everyone comes to me and hears my words and acts on them I will show you what he or she is like. He or she is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and not acted accordingly is like a man who builds a house on the ground without any foundation. That sounds like a bad idea, doesn't it? And the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus is speaking to this crowd. He's saying, listen, focus on the inside. Allow me into your life on the inside. Don't just get focused on the outer, what it looks like to be a follower of mine. Focus on having me within you. It produces a life that bears fruit. It produces a life in integrity. But it also produces a life that lasts. So much of these messianic movements, so much of these religious movements are about people signing on and going all in for a month, right? Or six months and then falling away. And Jesus is like, that's not what I want from you. I don't, I don't want just Lord, Lord, and then, and then I want a transformation. And that starts on the inside, allowing my, my heart in your heart. Have you ever seen an institution or a person or a company that looks strong on the outside, but as soon as the storms of the economy or the storms of life or relationships hit it, it just falls apart. I'm thinking about FTX. I don't know if you're familiar with FTX. Four months ago, I was not familiar with FTX at all. It's a company. Uh, but then I was watching the World Series. This was just like October, November just like four months ago. I was watching the World Series and all the umpires in the World Series, if you watched it, they were wearing their umpire uniforms and pro prominently on the face of that uniform was FTX. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what FTX is, you know? So I look it up. FTX is a crypto exchange company. You could invest and through FTX, you could buy cryptocurrencies. Um, and then I found out that the arena where the Miami Heat play 
It's called the FTX Arena. So I said, oh, this is legit. You know, this is not, you know, they've got the, the World Series umpires. They've got the arena there or the Miami Heat play. And then I saw like uh, Steph Curry was a spokesperson and somehow related to this company and some other very famous people. And I was like, I think Tom Brady. And I was like, man, this is legit. This is a legit company. I never even heard of it. This is the real deal. And then like four weeks later, I found out it was gone, you know? The whole thing was just gone, like billions of dollars gone because apparently there was a sister company and they took people's investment here and they invested it actually in crypto over here and then it all went away when the crypto prices went down and then everyone was in bankruptcy and then the uh, CEO was arrested in the Bahamas and then he was brought back to the United States. You're like, wow, that was quick, you know? That, that w and, then, and then the heat changed their name to their stadium and it's just all gone. You ever known anybody like that? I mean, you ever felt like that? Like a life that has no foundation? Like any little thing hits the life, you know? A little trouble at work, a little relational issue, a little financial issue, and, and it just feels shattered. You ever felt like that? Like, like your life doesn't have a foundation. Anything hits you, you're just vulnerable. Just a life like that can look really good, you know, as, as Jesus is describing, building a house. It can look, but if it doesn't have a good foundation, it's vulnerable to anything that hits it. That's why, like, if you go and look for a house to buy, you know, you'll look at the fixtures, plumbing fixtures, the light fixtures, you look at the flooring. Oh, they put down new carpets. Like, oh, I like that, you know. Oh, look at this new lighting. They got LED lighting all through here. Oh, that's, that looks nice. But when you bring the home inspector, the home inspector will say, why don't we go down to the basement and look at the foundation? Or like the house I sold, why don't we crawl underneath uh, and, and look at the crawl space? Why? Because all of this that we're enjoying here is all resting on this that we're not looking at. Let's see if it can hold. The last thing we want is to have a beautiful house up here and no solid foundation here. And that's even more so for our lives. Jesus is talking about a life. The foundation of our life is like our heart. And what's in our heart over time is going to determine the stability of our life. What our life produces and how we live with integrity. But more important, the stability that it can last. The, what would you give for a life that has a... A, heart, a good foundation? Well, what would you give for a life that's, that's solid? Well, the main idea here is that a good life starts with a good heart. So much of religion is about fixing this external, this surfacey life. But Jesus is saying, don't, don't spend so much time worrying about this law or these rituals or this, these customs. All of that is divinely inspired. All of that is good. But, but it all is built on what God is doing here. And so focus on loving God with all your heart, with all your soul. If you've got God living here, it's going to work out. God's going to work it out in the rest of your life. And the good news is, is that Jesus came to earth. And when he left this earth, he sent his Holy Spirit so that we could have a new heart. 
so that we could be born anew, so that we could be new creatures in Christ, so that we could have a spiritual DNA change, so we could become new creatures in Christ. A good life starts with a good heart. I just want to encourage you as we think about love the Lord of God, our heart, mind, soul, and strength. You could hear from that, I got a lot to do, right? I don't know if I love God with all my strength. I don't know if I love God with all my heart. I don't, you, oh, I really got to work hard to do this. But the real message here is that Jesus did the work and we just need to receive that new heart that he's given us. Let's pray that might be so in our lives. Lord God, we thank you that you invite us to be new creatures in you. You call us to be good plants, good trees that produce good fruit. And Lord, you offer to do a spiritual DNA change within us, to make us new creatures, to fill our hearts with your presence, to take away our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. And so we just pray right now, right here in this place, that Lord, you would do that in our hearts, that you would take out those hearts of bitterness, those hearts of lust, those hearts of anger, those hearts of unforgiveness, that you take out those hearts of shame and grief, that you give us hearts of your presence, hearts filled with your love, that you'd make us people after your own heart, that you'd fill us with your peace and your joy, your patience, you'd fill us with your self-control, that, Lord, we might truly live out this gospel life, not by our effort, but by your presence, transforming and reforming us. Thank you, Lord, that you've offered us a new life in Christ. We pray that you do it today. In Jesus' name, amen.